This message was recorded live at the Ark Church in Conroe, Texas. A man was uh, involved in some things around the house when he received a text from his wife, and it was a selfie of her. She was at the store. She was trying on dresses, and she sent him a text, a picture of herself, and she said, does this dress make me look fat? And uh, he wrote immediately, he's he, smart guy, he's been married more than a year, and so he wrote, he wrote, no, which N-O-O-O-O-O-O. And he sent it, but, but before he sent it, autocorrect stepped in and sent moo. <laughs> he, he hasn't seen her for a couple of days. And then he began to see her a little bit out of his left eye when it, when it, opened, when it opened up. Um, actually, the, the first part of that story is true. The second part I made up. But uh, my point is this. I, I hope he learned something from that. I hope he learned that before you text, I, I won't even ask for a show of hands, but there have been a few of us who've been jacked up by autocorrect as it has, it has since. So, you know, we learned something from that. Typically, on every anniversary of the church, I take a moment just to really talk about where we are, maybe where we got going, and, and where we are going as a church. Uh, in fact, I, I call this one uh, reflections and projections. But instead of really recapping the year or recapping the church per se, I, I want to recap and, and have some reflections on what we've learned from these last three months. They've been the most unusual three months for our country in my lifetime. And we, we've learned some things, or I hope we've learned some things. I think we've learned that government is powerful, but that government doesn't have all the answers. They've, you know, the fact that they were able to shut down so much in our country was a surprise to many of us. And, I, and they, they've done the best they could. I'm not, I'm not being critical, but government doesn't have all the answers. You know, gov government does not make a good God. God makes a good God. Because government is a... Is a well, we learned that the science experts are very smart, but they don't have all the answers either. I mean, I've never seen so much flip-flopping among the experts. They came out and said first, this pandemic, uh, early in January, they said this pandemic is not, it's not gonna affect us. <laughs> they flipped on that. And then they said that it's, it's not transmittable between humans, and they flipped on that. And then the Surgeon General said, don't wear a mask, but then he said, wear a mask. But now they said, don't wear a mask. And so they've, they've, they've flipped on all these things. Listen, I, I, I appreciate all of our scientists. I appreciate all of our doctors and all of our medical personnel doing everything they can to help us. But science is not the savior. And I, I think we've recognized that science is, is flawed. They don't have all the answers. Listen, if science had all the answers, we'd still be eating margarine. <laughs> Remember a few years ago, they said you're supposed to eat margarine because that's heart healthy. And uh, they flipped on that. So we, we appreciate science. We've learned some things. We've learned that our, our economy can be brought to a grinding halt. And we've learned that it has some, some fragile elements to it. But thank God we're also seeing it's resilient. It's bouncing back. And so that's a good sign. You know, I, I think what we've, we've recognized is that man doesn't have all the answers. But here's one thing I have seen, and this is one thing I've observed especially all the, of these last three months, 
is that we need God in our nation more than any other time in, in our existence. We, we really, we need him to touch our life. In 1996, when God called me to be a pastor, I uh, actually, I didn't want to be a pastor. I wanted to be something else. I wanted to be a traveling minister. And no one invited me anywhere, so it, it kind of dawned on me. <laughs> Maybe that's not my calling. And so I uh, finally answered the call of God to be a pastor. And Joy and I were thinking about being a pastor in Switzerland. And then God called us to Conroe, which is quite a contrast in, in, in terms. But I, I can tell you what, I'd, I'd so much rather be here than any other place in the entire world. And, and I, listen, I, I love what I do. I love my job. I love you guys. I, I am, I'm so glad to be a pastor. I've had people tell me, they said, I wouldn't be a pastor for all the money in the world. Well, you know, for all the money in the world, I'd consider a lot of different jobs. I really would, but, but I understand what they're saying. If you don't have the grace for this job, don't do it. But I really believe that God called us. He called this church to be exist in existence. So I want you to understand something. I, I am a pastor. I am not a politician, and I'm not a civic leader. As a pastor, my job is to feed the flock and oversee God's people. In fact, they're not even my flock. You know, I never refer to you guys as my people. You're God's people. And my job is to feed and to oversee. As I, as I look at, at our nation and what's going on, I understand this. As a pastor, I look to bring spiritual answers for natural problems. I'm not, a, again, I'm not a politician. I'm not a civic leader. I, I, I have to look for spiritual answers for natural problems. In our land, in America, we need laws that are unbiased and fair for everyone. And we also need to hold those who violate those laws accountable, regardless of who they are. In our land, we need to educate one another and maybe see if we can gain some understanding on the issues that divide us. I remember Stephen Covey years ago wrote a little, I've never forgotten it. He said he got on the subway in New York City back in the 80s. And as he was riding on the subway on a quiet Sunday morning, he said a family got on who a father and his kids, he said these kids were rowdy. He said they were throwing stuff, they were disrupted, they hit his paper numerous times, very irritating. And finally, Stephen Covey looked at the father, put his paper down, he looked at the father and said, can you do something about your children? He said the man kind of just kind of shook himself and said, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, um, they just... We just got away from the hospital. He said, my children learned that their mother is dying of cancer. He said, I don't think they know how to handle it. And Stephen Covey said, I went from being irritated to compassionate because we understood. I think education, as we learn, we can understand some of the issues that divide us. I believe that'll help us. But I believe that the greatest need in our country is not, and the greatest challenge facing our country it's not a second wave of the virus. It's not racism. It's not an economy. It's our, we need God. And we need God to change hearts. Because only God can transform hearts. And hearts are only transformed when someone humbles themselves and acknowledges, I need a savior, and receives Jesus Christ into their life. And their hearts are transformed. Laws can restrict behavior, 
But laws can never change hearts. Only God can change hearts. And we need them changed. And so as, as we look going forward, I understand what my role is and I understand what our job is, is to do everything we can to change the hearts of people. When Paul wrote the church, he wrote Titus, who was a pastor. It's a very short book. He was a pastor and he wrote him and he, and he wrote him in terms, he, he began to talk to him about the idea that, that as God's people, that Jesus paid a price for us. The Bible said he redeemed us from every lawless deed and purified for himself his own special people, zealous of good works. So he's talking about people who had been born again. It was actually, Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete. And he was talking about people who had been born again. And then Paul begins to write and he, he tells Titus this, Titus 3. He says, remind them, talking about the church, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. As Paul's writing this to Titus, he's writing to the church and he's writing and he's reminding Titus, he said, remind them to be subject to authority. People don't like authority. There's something in us that doesn't like authority. We've never liked being told what to do. And yet authorities are set up of God. And so he said, remind them to be subject to it. He said, but then he calls them up to a behavior that's on a higher level. He says, speak evil of no one. To be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. Now I gotta ask you the question. If we were not speaking evil, if we're peaceable and gentle, we show all humility to all men. Would it solve some problems in our country? Would it solve problems in our homes? And in our churches. So he's calling Christians up to this. And then he gives us the contrast. And the contrast, he said, he said, for you once were. And he said, so you once were. And then he began to talk about what we once were before God's grace was in our life. And he said, foolish and deceived. And he mentions living in malice, hateful and hating one another. Guys, I, I, I want to just be very clear. We don't see the word racism in the Bible, but we see hate in the Bible, and hate is the root of racism. And if we're going to root out racism, then we need to do something about the hearts of men and the hate that's there. But what can do that is, I like what Paul said when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God to salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek Therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith, as the just shall live by faith. So what he begins to talk about is the fact that Paul is writing Titus. He said, you were this, but now you're this. There's a phrase that I haven't heard used in a while, and you would see someone go, there but for the grace of God go I. You ever heard that one? And we often people were looking at someone in a, in a bad state, and they would say, there but for the grace of God go I. Can I tell you that if it wasn't for the grace of God, a lot of us would still be living in malice and envy and hateful and hating one another. But God's grace has come into our lives. It's made a difference in our lives. And honestly, guys, the church should be the shining example of racial reform and any other kind of reform because we're peaceable, we're gentle, we're, we show all humility because we remember what we used to be and we remember what God has done in us and he gets all the glory and all the praise for that. This, 
So as we look at this, and as we move forward, the psalmist said this. He said in Psalms 11:3, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? If the foundations are destroyed, if some of the things that we've trusted in, if some of the things that we've depended on, I think, I don't know if our foundations have been destroyed, but they certainly have been shaken. What can the righteous do? So let me give you some things that we can do and we'll continue to do as a church and as moving forward. One, we are going to continue to do everything we can to reach people with the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and to help people learn to live for God. See, one of the greatest things that you can do is learn to live with God as a bigger part of your life. If you've come to this church for any length of time, one of the best things you can ever, two best things, Alan, I found the Lord in this church, that would be the best thing you could ever tell me. The second best thing is, Alan, God has a bigger place in my life since I've been coming here. That's our goal. Because when God has a bigger place in your life, life is better. Prophet Jeremiah was speaking, and he gives a contrast. He says, thus says the Lord, cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart departs from the Lord. For he shall be like a shrub in the desert and shall not see when good comes, but shall inhabit the parched places in the wilderness in a salt land which is not inhabited. Blessed, here's the contrast, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord and whose hope is the Lord. For he shall be like a tree planted by the waters which spreads out its roots by the river and will not fear when heat comes, but its leaf will be green and will not be anxious in the year of drought nor will cease from yielding fruit. Don't get caught up in the word curse. This is not talking about curse like a, a voodoo curse and pins in a voodoo doll. This is talking about, actually the word means rest, resisted, to be hemmed in by obstacles. Listen, when you turn, when you turn away from God, you're resisted. When you turn away from him, the Bible said God gives, he resists the proud, he gives grace to the humble. But we, we're not living in grace. It's a dry land. He said it's like a, you're parched. It's like a, a shrub in the desert. But then he contrasts that. He said, but blessed are those whose, whose trust in the Lord and whose hope the Lord is. And then it begins to say, he's going to be like a tree who is planted by the rivers of water, constantly sustained. And even when the hard times hit, they're not shaky. They're not afraid. They continue to be yielding. And I tell you, during this time, this is one of the things that has meant so much to me is we've learned that if anything else, we have got to shift our dependence from man and man's system. We've got to shift it over to God. And if we'll do that, and if our hope is in him, then we're not going to be shaky when difficult times come. If we think these are the last of the difficult times, we're kidding ourselves, guys, because the Bible said in the last days, perilous times will come. So we're living in the last days. We will see those things. The good news is that if our trust is in the Lord, it might get dry, it might get parched, but our roots are in God. We're going to be strong. We're going to be sustained. We're going to be okay. And we're going to make it. And so the greatest thing we can do is tell people, listen, I wish I could tell you, I'm praying for you and your whole family is never going to have another problem again. I would be lying. But if I can say, hey, listen, if I, can, if I can lead you into a relationship with God that's bigger and stronger than it ever has been, then even though times may get tough, you're going to be okay. You're going to be all right. We want to help people in this area. Here's, here's the second thing. We need to embrace as a church who we are and who we represent. Who we are as a church, who we represent. Paul was writing to the church at Philippi, and he says this in Philippians 2. He said, do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life. 
He's writing to the church. And he says, and he's talking to them again about how they act. He said, you can't, you can't do everything without grumbling and, and complaining. We won't, we won't labor on that part, but we'll keep going. And then he said that you, and then he says this, that you may be blameless and harmless children of God. Now you notice there's no qualifier in that. You notice he didn't say that you may be harmless, blameless, harmless Greek children of God or Jewish children of God or rich children of God or poor children of God or black children of God or white children of God. He just says, you're the children of God. And so what Paul is exalting, when you exalt the kingdom of God and what God has done, all the other demographics begin to diminish. For 24 years as a church, we have opened our arms to every individual from every walk of life and every race and every denomination. We've welcomed people into this church. We've said, we've said, come as you are, you're welcome here. And what's been interesting is they have come. People, have, when I started the church, I had a pastor and we were having lunch. And he looked at me, he said, who are you targeting? And I thought, I have no idea what this man is talking about. And then he said, no, who, who, who are the demographics that you're going after? And I remember saying, people? Preferably living people? That, that's, that, that's who we're going after? And it's interesting, because we haven't targeted a demographic, all demographics have been able to come. There was, a, there was a, two ladies were talking. Two ladies were talking at a, at a baseball game. One of our staff members was sitting in front of them and they were talking about a coach. They said, yeah, he goes to the ark. And one lady said, really? She said, I hear they'll let anybody go there. <laughs> they thought it was a dig. I thought it was the greatest thing that you could ever say. Absolutely. Because if it wasn't for the grace of God, we'd all be out there hating and hateful and hating one another. But thank God for his grace. We're able to welcome people from all walks of life and say, come on in. Someone told me one time, I said, Pastor, I hear that, that, y'all, that the ark has a good reputation with prostitutes and drug addicts. They're, they were concerned. I was happy. Because <laughs> that sounds a lot like Jesus. And for the next 24 years, we're going to continue to not, we're going to continue to exalt the kingdom of God and the people of God and the fact that we're family of God. And we're going to exalt that above political parties, political movements, race, and social demographics. For a number of years, I have frustrated people because I have refused to take sides on, on political parties. I have refused to endorse candidates. And I have had people get angry at me and people leave the church. The Lord actually told me in 1982, stay away from politics. He said, there's no anointing to preach politics. So actually, I'm accountable to him, and, and I'll continue to be accountable to him. So if I've frustrated you in the past, we're about to face our most acrimonious election we're probably going to see in a long time. It's coming up. And guess what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to endorse a party. I'm not going to endorse a candidate. I am for the kingdom of God, and that's what we're going to exalt above, above anything. So... So for the next 24 years, we're going to continue. Say, why do you keep saying the next 24? Because then I'll be 85, and I might think about retiring. So uh, <laughs> for the next 24, we're going to continue to do that. 
We're going to continue to open our arms and continue to reach people and shine our lights. It's interesting you said holding fast to the word of life. We shine our lights by holding fast to what God's word says. That becomes our standard. And that fuels the light that's within. Here's the last thing. As a church, we're going to continue to be part of the solution, not part of the problem. Anyone can say anything. You can blog. You can post. But we're going to speak words of life. Words of life over our church, over our city, over our country. Words of life over our families. We're going to speak words of life. It's easy to be negative and speak the problem. We're going to speak life. And something else, guys. I, I'm not real, I'm not social media savvy. I don't spend, I'm not on it, don't spend much time on it. But just listening and talking to people, what I'm not hearing, and, and what I'm surprised that I'm not hearing is, are there not enough voices out there saying, hey, could all this racial turmoil be the fact that the devil is trying to do everything he can to divide our nation? Could... Could we have some voices? I'm, I'm going to say this. We don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but with principalities and powers and with the rulers of the darkness of this world. Can, can, can we talk about that? And can we, talk, can we do more than just talk? Can we pray for the healing of our land? Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter said, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. Guys, our land needs healing and only God can heal our land. And so I, I would just ask that you would join with me. Let's be part of the solution. Let's be part of, of, the, of the answer. Let's pray. It takes humility to pray and realize that God, you can do more than we can do. And so I would encourage you to join us in that. And so as we, as we close, just as a reminder, 24 years ago, my very first text, the very first scripture I ever read for this church was found in uh, 2 Corinthians 13, 14. And it says this, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all, amen. I didn't realize it at the time, but I really believe that was a prophetic verse for this church. That we're here to preach the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and what he's done. That we're here to preach the love of God and how much God has a love for humanity and for all men. And that we're here to preach that we need the empowering strength of the Holy Spirit to be able to make a difference in a dark world. We did that then. We're doing that now. We're going to continue to do that. And I believe that our best days are still ahead. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? But I want to pray a little differently this morning. I want to pray for the healing of our nation. Heavenly Father, I pray this time that our nation needs you so desperately. And we, your people, we're the ones called by your name. We're part of your kingdom, your family. You're, we're called to live on a higher level. Lord, we humble ourselves this morning and we ask that you would heal our land. We ask you, Lord, that you would make a difference in our land, in our nation, in our state, in our city and area, in our homes. Father, thank you for your healing power. Thank you for helping us. Show us how we can shine our lights even stronger as a church and be a blessing to this area. Show us how we can make a difference. Father, we thank you for that. We believe that you hear our prayers and that you are healing and working in our land. We give you all the praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Guys, this has directly been a message 
to the church for us. But before I end, I, I want to bless you. Bless those of you who are here and bless those of you who are watching. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you his favor and give you his peace. We love you. We are praying for you. Thanks for coming. Thanks for listening to this message. For more about The Ark, visit thearkchurch.com.